It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless coming to you from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, hello. How's it, how's it going up in Parts Unknown? Oh, we're yeah. good. Uh, allegedly could get 50-degree weather this week, so Whoa. I'm just saying. Whoa. I'm just saying. It was So we went to Gainesville. Uh, uh, my dad went with me, which was uh, pretty cool. Um, he scalped a ticket at the last moment uh, uh, to get into, to, to the arena in, in Florida. But, um, it was like 78 degrees when we left Gainesville on Saturday afternoon, early evening. Uh, and then by the time we got back to Auburn, it was like 39 or 38. So not a fan of, not a fan of the big shift, but, uh, glad to hear that you might be thawing out where you are. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, are the tigers thawing out? Whoa. Folks, segue. Hello, uh, we're here to talk about Auburn, Florida. Um, we'll we'll talk some football later on in the in the broadcast, but a lot of this is going to be about Auburn's uh, third loss of the season, second loss in SEC play, sixty three, sixty two to the Florida Gators, and I think we should start at the ending. Um, Auburn was found itself down um, by eight with two sixteen left to play. And then they just found a way to get it going. Uh Katie Johnson um you know got to the free throw line. Um Florida um split up split some free throws. Uh Jabari Smith got fouled on a three, hit all three of them. Auburn steals the inbounds pass uh with a minute twenty five and scores to go down by two. Um there's a foul on Castleton, Don Castleton late Gets it to three. Katie Johnson drives and gets it uh, back to one on, on a pair of free throws. And then Auburn, instead of going for the quick foul, they go for the steal a few times. Um, Florida works it all the way down to nine seconds left. And uh, Auburn steals the inbounds pass. Uh, Jabari Smith making a great play to uh, go up and get it uh, on a jump ball using all that uh, that plus wingspan that he's got. Um, Auburn gets the ball uh, with seven and a half seconds left. And they go to a play where, uh, you know, late game situation, they do not get a shot off and they end up losing uh, 63 to 62. Um, The final play, um, a lot is going to be talked about that final play. Um, Potentially going to write some more about it on Monday uh, in the film room. I'm I'm not 100% sure what all I'm going to do yet, but, Feels like this one's kind of the the big the big uh, storyline that's going to be in the front of everybody's mind. But uh, Auburn calls a play. Um, they get a side out after the timeout. Um, I'm watching it right now. They go. They they bring the ball to um, you know Alan Flanning inbounds the ball to Wendell Green Jr. Uh, it looks like from the very moment that they get going that the play is for Walker Kessler to come up and set a screen. Um, it doesn't happen. Florida backs off, so it makes it tougher for Walker to set a screen on uh, Wendell Green's man because he's moving. Um, the uh, Wendell Green drives down the lane uh, to the left side. Um, by the time Kessler starts rolling to the basket, uh, there's a quick like double team. Uh, Florida has done a really good job of, of defending, switching and defending and, and stopping this 
this what has been a go-to play for Auburn all season. Um, at this point, there's two seconds left on the clock. Uh, Wendell Green throws the ball down to Kessler. It gets ta- tapped away, uh, but it would have been hard for them to get any shot off anyway, and Auburn loses. Um, whew, there's a lot here. There's a lot here uh, to this play. Um, let's First, I'm going to read the full quote from Bruce Pearl. I asked him after the game about what happened on the final play. He said this, quote, I probably should have called timeout once I saw Florida back off. I was thinking they were going to overplay. If they overplayed Wendell, we were going to go throw the ball to Walker, hand it off to Wendell, and let him get downhill. But they kept everything in front, and yet still, Wendell in the middle of the floor, Walker to the roll, rolling to the rim, shooters spread out. If we complete the last play and Walker catches it and dunks it, dunks it then I look like a genius. This is a play call that Auburn has gone to over and over and over again. Now, uh, Pearl saying a handoff was going to be kind of the play. Um, if you go back and watch the play, after they kind of back off, it seems to be just kind of like a, a normal screen. Um, Jabari Smith in the corner, Katie Johnson in the other corner. Alan Flanagan, I'm not 100% sure what Alan Flanagan was doing or was supposed to do on this play. Um, the way he was running kind of, the spacing up top did not go particularly well uh, there, so I, I wonder well, you know, kind of what all happened uh, on that play. But in the end, Auburn goes to this try-and-true play, and Florida covers it well. Auburn doesn't get a shot off late. Painter, what kind of is your reaction? What goes through your mind when you watch this final sequence for Auburn and see not only um, are they unable, you know, not unable to get – you know, the win, but they don't even get a shot up in the process. It was indicative of the entire game. Just a lot of sloppy play from the entire team with the turnovers. The guards weren't great in a number of areas, but I like the concept of getting the ball to Walker, someone who generally can't be stopped. It does look like there's a still shot of maybe what's probably a tight window for Wendell to hit. Kessler, I, I, you know, it looks it's, like it's pretty it, yeah. well defended. So, you know, from that angle, it would have been tough. Exactly. Yeah. Especially given Wendell's size. So macro, not worried about it. Maybe micro, you can start going, ah, oh, there's a couple of trends here for Auburn, uh, especially with its guards. I think we can do the whole thing where we talk about Bruce's teams peaking at the right time. A lot of years, or at least in some of the years recently here. Um, I, I think it was Nathan King that pointed out like, might have been the same amount of games remaining in conference play on the Final Four run. They got absolutely just, you know, blown out by Kentucky and then wound up rounding into form. I don't know if I've got the timeline right there. My point is this. There's four games left in conference play. Like, big picture, I think Auburn has a chance to win out. Certainly go 3-1. and one. This one was mostly disappointing because it felt like a game you should have never lost. This game, I, I think... I like what you said there with the macro level. Like, uh, put it this way: Auburn had its worst first half of the season on offense. It had a second half on defense where Florida, uncharacteristically, was hitting big shot after big shot from deep. Um, right. Played played exceptionally well it in that area. It felt like Look, Appleby was just throwing like balls at the rim at times, and they yeah, were and, going and they in. were going it. Yeah, and he he played it really really well. I mean, dude had a lot of confidence, and this is a team that shouldn't have a lot of confidence from deep, and and yet they did playing at home, um, and yet that all adds up to a one-point loss away from home. This is a quad one game, right? This is a tough matchup. You know, it's not as tough as Tennessee pro- it looks, 
but it's a tough matchup. It's a place where Auburn hasn't won since 96. Now, different teams, different situations, you know, I, I, I not necessarily something that you, um, that has any bearing on the game. It just kind of shows you, okay, playing in the SEC, playing at a place like Florida, crowds loud, um, you know, always a really good environment, uh, when they're, when they're playing well, it's a, it, it's a tough place to get a, to get a W. Um, so it was this really sloppy, uncharacteristically like just off game for Auburn. And yet it ends up being a one point loss. Um, and I think a good point from all of this is that everything that has happened to Auburn, you know, in these losses and especially this one is fixable. There's not something where you look at it, it's like, okay, well, there's no way they can get better at this, or this is what they are at this point in the year. Like they didn't lose because they were cold from three point range. They didn't lose because they fouled a ton and got, you know, Florida line. They ended up shooting more free throws than, than, than Florida did in this game. Um, it, it, it's, you know, when you they've won a variety of ways, they've also lost their three of their games. Also, have lost them in a variety of ways. Um, and you know, this team still is in a really good spot moving forward. We'll talk. We'll talk more about that later. But I think the big thing that is going to stand out from this game for a lot of people is the final play. And Bruce said it afterwards. He, you know, probably should have called timeout when he saw that the action wasn't going to be as clean as they thought it was because Florida backed off. Um, Jabari Smith did not touch the ball on the last play. He has not been a guy who's touched the ball in late game, you know, these last last play situations, the, the few that Auburn has had this season. I don't know if he I don't know if he has or if he has. It hasn't been very often. Um, definitely hasn't had a shot late. Jabari Smith, again, 28 points. Um, he was 4 or 5 from deep. Um, played it really, really well. Got cold down the stretch, but I think that was more of what Florida was doing on defense. Um, but still, 28 points on 7 to 16 shooting. He had his two best games of the season this week. He doesn't get a shot late. Now, on this play and this and this set, the way it was organized, and, and people who are better with basketball X's and O's than I am can can explain this better. But where the action was going, um, if you go back and look. Katie Johnson is in the corner, and he's probably like when when things were going off, and it wasn't looking like that one five look with Green and Kessler was going to work. Johnson was in the corner, and that was probably your best bet to have a kick out catch and shoot. Doesn't go that that direction. The way the set is drawn up, the way the players are spaced out, that side of the floor opening up a little bit more from that action. Meanwhile. You've got Jabari Smith in the corner. Not a bad idea for where you shoot at. And then he kind of curls up to the top, trying late to be a last, uh, you know, last gas kind of catch and shoot player. Safety valve. It doesn't, you know, Auburn doesn't go to him. Obviously, the spacing there. Florida's got one of his be- their best defenders on him. They were denying. They were doing a good job off ball. That set was not designed to get Jabari Smith a shot. I think that's that's obvious. But maybe if things kind of flip around, maybe you see something open up a little bit differently. Maybe the threat of Jabari Smith, if you put him on the other side of the floor, kind of spaces things out differently, helps out. But it's just nothing kind of went right for Auburn on that on that last play. And, you know, it, it's not the case that Auburn isn't using Jabari Smith. You know, the, the, this week he, he – you know, th- this week he has um, – 59 points across two games. Uh, 
and his usage rate was super high in this one. Um, in fact, I think, you know, I'll go ahead and say this now. Bruce said after the game, he's like, "We're we're best." And this 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 quote got this quote got some. Um, I know some Auburn fans were were kind of you know scratching their heads or raising their eyebrows at this one, but the quote said, "We're best when everyone contributes, and we relied too much on Jabari tonight. Not that it wasn't smart continuing to go to him because he was able to make plays, but we're best when everybody contributes. That wasn't the case tonight. And when Pearl says that early, now this had nothing to do with the final play call, right? This was not a question about the final play call. This was in his opening statement." The final play call question came right after that. Um, but he's right in the fact that, you know, you rely on Jabari Smith. And part of the reason why Auburn lost this game is because they had to rely on Jabari Smith too much. Now, you can say, should they have gone to him in the final possession? Go, you know, live and die with your best guy. Live and die with your best shooter. Live and die with your best. That's that's something that I think a lot of people want to see at this point from Auburn. It didn't happen that way. But... Auburn not going to Jabari Smith late was not a thing of, you know, Bruce saying, well, we have to go to somebody else. Now, I think they thought, and look, that 1-5 pick and roll really, really works. I would say that Florida has guarded it better than anybody has done this season for Auburn because they have Colin Castleton because they have some some very aggressive guards uh, on the defensive side. But go and look at the box score from this game. Um Walker Kessler has 11. Um, doesn't have a block in this game. I mean, Castleton won this matchup pretty, pretty definitively across the board. Katie Johnson has 12, but six of those come from the free throw line. Wendell Green Jr. had five. Had an and one. Had another really good uh, layup during the game. Everybody else had two or zero points that came on the floor for Auburn. Meanwhile, Appleby for Florida had 26, including 5 of 10 from deep. Castleton had 19. Flanders Fleming, who is a very good defender as well, gave them 7 and 5, uh, 7 points and 5 assists. So, I mean, Auburn only had 9 bench points in this game. Florida only had 5, but they had two really good players play some really good basketball in this game. And, like, I'm not faulting Kessler, and I'm not faulting Johnson because they, they got to that point, but... To me, after the game, it's like, you know, when you say Auburn's at its best when everybody contributes, it's like, yeah, Jabari Smith played out of his mind, looked like a guy who continued to be a number one pick in the in the NBA draft. But, but, um, Auburn needs more. They can't rely just on him and win games. We can talk about it in the micro in, the, in those last second shots, but in the macro, like we were saying earlier, the big thing to me, Painter, the, the takeaway from this one is, for a team, you know, Auburn looks so, so good when Kessler and Smith are playing at a high level and when at least one of those guards plays really, really well. You just, you didn't get that in this game. And it's hard to win away from home when it's just one guy carrying the bulk of the workload on offense. Right. I think it's a pretty obvious connection. To like The more threats you have on the court, the better your best player is going to be able to shine. Yeah, 100%. And... And also the guard play, like, Whew. it's just not been good recently. That doesn't mean it can't get better. Like, what was Auburn, 11-7 and seven the final final four run year? And, like, the guards did not play great throughout all of conference play. 
but obviously yeah. they did down the stretch, as did Chuma Okiki. So there is a runway yeah. for Auburn to turn this around, and I don't even know if turning it around, that's a little dramatic. They've lost three games, Painter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've lost three games. Now, it does stand out, of course, to a lot of folks, that Auburn has lost three games, and they've lost their last two away from home. And they've got two more to play away from home. And if they want to win an SEC title unless they get some help, they're going to have to win one of these games away from home. They're going to win, have to win at Tennessee or at Mississippi State. I said that going in. The magic number to clinch a share of the title was three. Okay? Um, and, man, it looked like for a while that Alabama was going to help Auburn out. And Arkansas definitely helped Auburn out by, by beating Tennessee later in the day. Um, but, okay, by the way, side note, I mean, don't want to get too far off, off on this. Um. Look, if you give up 90 points to Kentucky when Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler don't play, <laughs> I don't care if you're playing in Rupp Arena. I don't care what the foul calls look like. I don't care what the free throw margin looks like. That is that is bad news. That is bad, bad news. And also, I think it's also a sign that Kentucky is just a really deep and really good team at this point. But, whew, that was, that's, not, that's not a pretty, pretty result at all. But, yeah, I mean, you pointed out, Painter, the, the, the guard play. Okay, so in this game, Auburn has 17 turnovers and just nine assists. You know, the assist-turnover ratio is usually a good indicator of how well Auburn plays. I mean, that's, that's very broad and, and very easy to see. But in this game, Katie Johnson, five turnovers, one assist. Wendell Green Jr., three, five assists, but three turnovers. Smith had two turnovers. Kessler had two turnovers. Flanagan had two turnovers. Uh, Jalen Williams and Devin Cambridge both had a turnover. Um, and then not a whole lot of assists because a lot had to be, you know, Kessler, the pick-and-roll game wasn't quite as effective against Castleton and those guys, and, and Smith had to, had to create some. But, yeah, it was – the guard play just wasn't where it needed to be. And, you know, Wendell Green is in a bit of a – you know, cold stretch right now for him. You know, he you know he came off of that week where he was, you know, SEC Player of the Week uh, from the Alabama and Georgia games. He had had a, had a good game against Arkansas, uh, especially in the second half. Of course, the late game situation there. A lot of people will point to that one. Um, but since then, two points against AM, twelve points against Vanderbilt, five against Florida. Um, a decent number of assists, but he's a, just just not the quite the same level that we've seen him play at, you know. Not not bad, not bad, but not what he was at. I guess is the best way to to, to explain it. Um, not shooting the ball particularly well, uh, efficiency wise. We've seen Katie Johnson have big games this season. We've seen Wendell Green Jr. have big games this season for Auburn. Um, it's not like they're incapable of it, right? When you say that the guard play needs to get better, it's not like. You know, oh well, they're in this right, and there's we've seen an SEC play, we've seen against good teams, we've seen against great teams. We have seen these guys step up. You know, Zepp Jasper in this game doesn't have a turnover, um, but his minutes are limited some because of foul situation and the fact that Auburn just could not get their offense going. And so you need to play Green a little bit more uh, more minutes in this game. Um, you didn't get much from your bench at all. You go back and look at uh, this is where mi- I think we're getting a, like some people might be skating here. If anything, like our three juniors in this game 
Yeah. I'm not saying they need to take over, but they just existed offensively. They didn't take a lot of shots, but I'm I'm not sure when we went into the season that I was expecting yeah. that level of sort of just standing and being around on offense for a full 40 minutes. Yeah, Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams, Devin Cambridge, four points combined, two of four from the field. Um, let's see, it's four turnovers from those guys and just one assist. Um, Cambridge and Flanagan got a, got a decent amount of rebounds. I think that, that that position did well on the glass. Didn't do terribly on defense. They were both of them were minus one and plus minus, but you just didn't get you just didn't get much I mean, from Jalen Williams. And, and Jalen Williams only played like okay. So here's part of that situation as well. Jalen Williams just played seven minutes in this game. Jabari Smith plays thirty three. That adds up to forty, right? Because of Castleton, it looked like Auburn was hesitant, or they weren't going to go to that small ball look where you probably play Jalen Williams more at the five. In this game, Dylan Carwell, one of five from the field, three boards. He was minus 13, and Kessler was plus 12. That adds up to the minus one where Auburn defeated. It's just Kessler, you know, is the most valuable player. And Carwell, that we've seen games where Carwell's played really, really well, and we've seen games where Carwell's kind of stepped up and, and, and gave, given Auburn some really good minutes. In this game, you just didn't get it from him. And the way the rotation was going and the way things broke down, you just did not have enough of um, – I don't think you added – you didn't – there wasn't much for, for Williams to do in this game in those seven minutes. But also just your 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 two small forwards play all but – well, you know, actually they, they played more than uh, 20 minutes in this game – or 40 minutes in this game because of uh, – be, because of some foul trouble and, and uh, Cambridge had to play some of the two at some point, but yeah, you just don't get you just don't get much of anything from them. And again, like we said, Painter, it's not like this is indicative of the season, right? Because Texas A and M game, Auburn got a lot from their threes. Just kind of want more out of the juniors at this point. I don't know how fair that is, but like some of the most experienced guys, we know they're talented, and it feels like a lot of them are just existing. And it's a small sample size of one game, but like. Their plus minus is a good indicator in this game that they are just sort of existing right now. Yeah, they did. They there wasn't a whole lot that was contributing in this game from those guys, right? I don't think they played particularly poorly, right? But like it, it just wasn't very impactful. And those are guys that you can rely on. It's like okay, the dirty work. And again, like I said, Cambridge and Flanagan did well on the boards. Um, they weren't. You know, like they were part of the turnover issues, but they weren't like a huge part of the turnover issues. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it's it's and tough I because be clear. I'm not trying to discount everything that they do, which a lot of that stuff is not as easily noticed. The good defense, the rebounding, but as juniors yeah. who have played a lot, like I just I do have a higher standard for some of them, and I especially have a higher standard for like Allen, I guess, because it's like you know, I mean. We think that you are a potential first-round draft pick. Maybe not this year. Might not be this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. But, like, it might be a little unfair, quite frankly, to Allen. But, like, I do expect a lot out of him. Flying in Cambridge seemed to, seemed to grade out defensively pretty well in this game, looking at the numbers again. Um, Which I yeah, don't think I, is surprising. That's been yeah, consistent. I think that's, I, I think that's one of those things, though, when you look at it. It's like, okay, Jabari Smith's going off in this game. Kessler's not having as quite of the – same game as he normally does. He had some fouls, you know, and and this is the one team in the SEC that I think is the best built to counter 
Kessler because it's you know he is arguably Castleton is arguably the best all around like I mean especially offensively center in the league. Um, of course, Oscar Shibway you know keeps doing Oscar Shibway things, but you know it's just a different type of game, different kind of you know different kind of uh, style for the way those guys get their uh, get their numbers. Like how different um, is in the, is this game if like uh, Allen has like seven or eight points and Devin has like yeah. five? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just. I think that's what goes back to Bruce's point is that you just need more guys to contribute. And and especially in a game when, you know, you weren't getting an efficient performance from Wendell Green Jr. and Katie Johnson. You know, Katie played well to get to the free throw line and, and make some things happen, but he had more turners than anybody else did on the team. You start to you you, you start to say, Okay, who's gonna step up with Jabari Smith? Who's going to help out in case you know, Kessler's not having as big a game as normal. And that points back to, okay, can your veterans give you just some timely production? And you just didn't have it in this game. Again, I think offensively is kind of the key there. Defensively and on the boards, I think they contributed a good amount. Jalen Williams, I mean, he only played seven minutes in this game. I'm not going to sit here and say that you should have had a lot more there. But, yeah, I mean, I think the matchup made it tougher for them to play Jalen more. Um, because of the way Smith was playing and also just the size of Florida. Um, you don't see that small ball look at any point, and, and you just don't get the same kind of game from Cardwell off the bench that you've seen Auburn get from Cardwell off the bench. So, yeah, it, it adds up at the end where it's like you had one awesome game from one player. You had a couple of solid games from some other guys in certain areas. Meanwhile, Florida on the other end plays really good defense throughout the game and – has two guys go off, and that two is going to beat one almost every single time. But then it all comes down to the end, and it's like it's just a one point game, too, right? Like these issues and these things that you can point at at Auburn and say they got to get better at this, they got to get better at this. This is why they lost. This is you know all these things that stand out. It's still, just a one point loss. Still, just a one point loss away from home. And what was you know as was pointed out earlier was a quad one game. But yeah, you're right. And Pearl said this after the Arkansas game. More guys have to contribute. Um, and then they turned around, you know, and had, uh, you know, some monster games um, from their bench against Vanderbilt. And they had really good games, uh, you know, from a variety of guys against Texas A&M. So it's not like, okay, this is clear, like, they're not they're not capable of picking this up. They're not capable of turning this around. Um it, it's 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 definitely possible, but in a game like this, away from home against a really good team, you needed more guys to step up, and it just it just didn't happen, and that's a big reason why you lost. There's two easy ways to look at this, which is the positive angle of championship teams go through tough losses like this. Again, it's only three, two of which weren't in regulation, and another one on the road by one point. You can also look at it and go, well, if they don't get a few things tightened up, especially offensively, especially in the half-court offense, but if it doesn't tighten up, then, yeah, they're not going to be a team that makes a deep run. They will leave a lot of potential on the table. Right, yeah. You look at you look at the last few national champions in college basketball. Um, Baylor lost – you know, a late regular season game to uh, last year, lost a late regular season game at Kansas by 13, exited the Big 12 tournament in the second the second game they played, went on a run, won the national title. Uh, 2019, Virginia, February loss at home to Duke, 
early exit in the ACC tournament. Runs the table, wins the national title. Villanova. Villanova loses three games in February, um, including two on the road to uh, Providence and Creighton. Neither of them were ranked at the time. But catches fire in the Big East tournament, runs all the way to the title. Right? So it's not that, like, late season losses keep you, you know, just like, oh, this team can't, doesn't, is not going to have what it takes or, you know, whatever you want to say off of that. Um, you know, North Carolina wins the, go back a year earlier, North Carolina loses to Duke, uh, loses at Virginia, loses early in the ACC tournament, runs the table. So, like, these late season losses aren't indicative of a team that can't get it or they're not going to be able to put it together. You know, it's still, it's still late, you know, it's late in the game, I guess, in the regular season, but it's still at a point where you can get better and you can pick up and move on. We pointed out the example of the Auburn team that went to the Final Four and how they – I mean, Peter, we did radio during <laughs> that season. The you, yep. After the Ole Miss loss at home that year, yep. there was a real conversation about whether or not Bruce could get it done at Auburn because they had, they had won the league the year before, but a bunch of injuries really dampened the end of that season. And so there was – a, a small but maybe vocal crowd of people that started saying, well, is it ever really going to be as good as we'd hoped? And it's like, I don't You won the SEC regular season. I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah, and it was like, okay, well, this team might not make the tournament. This team takes too many threes. This ta- but they figured it out, right? And, and this team has more weapons at their disposal to figure it out. Um, yeah, there's have- definitely a larger margin of error with this team. Right. You know, Auburn plays a game where they have a lot, almost twice as many turnovers as assists uh, away from home. In years past, they lose by double digits. This season, they're losing games in the, you know, in overtime and in, you know, by one away from home, and you have a chance to win at the end. And that's not right? to say like, you can't be frustrated with some of these losses because oh, they were sure. all avoidable, sure. and you can certainly yes. point yes. out that if some of these things continue, they won't make as big of a run as you want in the postseason. But it's all within the context of Bruce usually manages his locker room very well, and we've mm-hmm. seen recently in years with talented Auburn teams where they hit a crescendo at the right time. And in the regular season, like, you know, you've got this, you've got this thing where a lot of these, when you, when you barely lose, like Auburn has this year, they're 24 and three. When you barely lose, the, the mistakes get magnified, right? Like, like the, the things that have gone wrong are blown because there's not very many of them. The thing here is, is that away from home, away from Auburn arena, these in game situations against Arkansas, Against um, against Florida, you know, UConn I guess is a different different animal, and that that was that seemed like a lifetime ago at this point. But some of these games, you know, the the Georgia game and the Missouri game, and how you had to scrape and claw and get out of it. St. Louis had to have the comeback, stuff like that. You're about to be in a point in the season where everything's going to be away from home, and it's single elimination, and a loss. You know, Auburn. In the in the grand scheme of things, a loss you know against Florida made things tougher. But thanks to what happened earlier in the week, they're hitting the you know they entered the week up one and uh, up one in the SEC title race. They're going to enter next week up one in the SEC title race. Right, missed opportunity, but not necessarily a thing where they they lost ground. Right, it's it's more of a missed opportunity. They've you're about to play in some single elimination tournaments, one in Tampa and then one, you know, four at all. And if you lose your season's over and 
Auburn's got to get better at these endgame situations. they got to get better at making sure everybody contributes in these games away from Auburn Arena where things aren't going to go your way and the crowd's not always going to be totally behind you um, just because of the environments that you're in. This is where this team's got to get better and grow. But the same team that that has lost and had those had those tough losses this season are ones that have gotten some really big wins this year and have beaten some really good basketball teams, um, even away from home. So this this team has a lot to um, that a lot still ahead of them, and they can still, you know, they're still in the driver's seat to win the SEC. They're still in a good spot to to be a number one seed. All of the goals are still in front of them. Since these last two weeks of the season, it's going to be gut check time because Tennessee is going to be a tough matchup, and I don't know what you're going to get out of Ole Miss. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I feel good about that one at home. I think Ole Miss may play you real well, but uh, at home. Yeah, you got State on the road, and then you got South Carolina at home. As we said, you hold serve and win one road game. You're at least getting a share of the – Right. And if you beat Tennessee, the teams, you know, are – Hey, say Kentucky shares with you. Well, you have you've got the, the one seed. You've got the well, and then you've got the head. All right, right, right. You've got the head. Head. You can at least you know say that they might be able to hang a banner, but it's going. I've got that. Know. I've got that right. Right. Like because we won yes. the the head to head matchup in the SEC tiebreakers. We'd be one. They'd be two. They only use tiebreakers in the SEC for um, seeding in the SEC tournament. If you finish with the same record, at, same conference record as. Another first-place team in the league, you also can claim a championship. It's what happened a few years ago when Auburn won it, and they won the head-to-head against Tennessee, but Tennessee still got to claim the SEC title because, you know, why do they do that? People ask, why do they do that? Uh, Long story short, sometimes you play teams once in SEC play, sometimes you play them twice. So it's like you have rules for, like, what happens when they split, what happens when you only play once, what, you know. Instead of that, the SEC just makes the easy thing and just say, hey, you know, just because everybody doesn't play everybody the same amount of times, if you have the same record at the end, you're you're all champions. So, you know, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Um, you look ahead to this team though, and and you know, uh, yesterday or Saturday, uh, the NCAA came out with their mock bracket. They're like, hey, this is what it would look like right now um, if we if we put put out a uh, put out a field. It had Auburn as um, it had Auburn as the number two overall seed behind Gonzaga. Um, I wonder what that's going to look like after this loss. Because I want I want to point some, I want to point something out. Because there were some people that were thinking like, man, they might not get the number one seed now, or like, oh, this team's going to fall, and like, you know, some uh, some overreaction, right? And I guess looking ahead, like they're going to have to win some some tough games down the stretch. They'll probably have to play. They have to play Tennessee again. There's a good chance they can cross paths with Kentucky in the SEC tournament. Like, there's a lot of that going on. But look at the context of what what's around you at this point. Um, they're the number two overall seed. Arizona is the number three overall seed. Arizona is the number three team in the country. Arizona um, beat Oregon on Saturday night by three. Um more than likely, I think you're going to see that those teams are one, two, and three in the AP poll. Those teams are one, two, three, pretty much. And and you go to bracket matrix, you look at pretty much any uh, listing of you know bracket matrix. I've mentioned it in the past. You know, it takes a bunch of bracket projections 
and kind of makes a composite and say, okay, this is what this is what kind of the consensus is thinking about. It was Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, one, two, three, pretty much across the board. Um, maybe you can check out some order, but those were the three clear one seeds, uh, or the top three seeds, I should say. Uh, I would expect Arizona to jump Auburn, um, you know, in projections and probably the AP poll next week. It's a one point loss away from home. We saw when Auburn lost to Arkansas in overtime. They only dropped one spot from from one to two. Um, okay, look at uh, you know look at what uh, is around you, right? Kentucky was the number four team in the country. Okay, Kentucky lost to Tennessee this week. And an even worse loss than Auburn had, although Tennessee was a better team. Do you think that? Kentucky now with five losses is going to jump Auburn with three losses considering Auburn has the head-to-head win? I don't think so. Purdue, they have to play Rutgers on Sunday. Could Purdue jump and go to go to number three? Maybe. But if you look at the bracket projections, Kansas is the next team. You know, it, it, it is, the, is the next number one seed. Kansas, um, you know, had two pretty – Comfortable wins this week over Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Maybe Kansas gets that jump. Maybe pollsters look at what the NCAA was thinking and say, okay, maybe. But I think you're at a point, though, where I don't think Auburn's lost the number one seed at this point, and it's going to be tough to hold on to it. But I think there was a freak out of, like, okay, how far is Auburn going to fall? How Auburn's going to drop? Like, you know, we said this after, you know, after the the week where they lost the, for the, you know, against Arkansas, and you look at the poll, it's just – because of the Kentucky loss and because some things that were they're going on around the league, um, you know Baylor, uh, Baylor lost to Texas Tech earlier in the week as well. Like I, they could end up just falling one spot and maybe just switching spots with Arizona, not only in the poll but where you know possibly the the selection committee and where the the bracket minds feel like at this point. So um, again, it wasn't good, and there was a lot of frustration that Auburn fans feel because of the way the game ended, how it transpired, you know, all the all you know, the missed opportunity in the in the uh, SEC title race, all of that. But Painter, it was just a one point loss away from home, and against a team that's you know going to have a good shot at making the NCAA tournament now, like that, you're not going to get dinged too heavily for that. It's college basketball. Most of these teams have a lot more, or most of these teams in the country have more losses than Auburn. Only Gonzaga and Arizona are the only ones who don't. I saw some people saying, well, now Auburn's going to lose the number one seed. And it's like, they might, but that will be because they keep losing games. It will not be yeah, because they game, lost a quad yeah. one game to Florida. And, and like, losing to Florida is not indicative of what you do next, right? Like, you are in a spot where, you know, you've lost to, you've lost to Florida away from home. And you've lost to Arkansas away from them. These are two tough teams. But you've also beaten some really good teams. And you had the longest winning streak in the country this year. Um, if you're going off for projections, Auburn shouldn't have lost to Florida. But they probably shouldn't have lost, or they, they, you know, they probably shouldn't have had the, as much success at home as they've had. So, you know, it, it's, I, I, they're in a fine spot, I think. I think that's the best way for me to kind of explain. They're, you know, could have solidified not only the SEC race, but, you know, number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And even if they don't get a number one seed in the SEC, NCAA tournament, did you see what the rest of the field looked like? Like, 
whoever, like, the two seeds are loaded this year. There's, like, eight teams that have a good chance to be two seeds. And uh, that fourth number one seed is going to be tough to figure out, I think. Um, so you can still be in a really good spot. You know, I, I think there's an, uh, th- there's, when you don't lose very often, there might be a, a, a move to kind of panic a little bit. But, as I said, one point loss away from home, um, you're still one game. You're still in the lead in the SEC title race. You still just you got to win one of these last two road games and hold serve at home, and you have have the title. And who knows? You might get a little bit more help because Arkansas beat Tennessee by double digits at home. They play Kentucky next. So by the time Auburn plays Wednesday night against Ole Miss, they will know what they need to do to stay ahead. Or in fact, if they they can possibly jump even further ahead, depending on what happens with Kentucky. And look, if Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler are both out for a game at Arkansas. It's going to be really tough for, for, for Kentucky to win uh, with the way uh, Arkansas plays defense. I mean, just Alabama does not play good defense. I right. look forward to uh, to the SEC tournament. That's, you know, I hope that Auburn gets matched up with Florida and Arkansas in that thing. Yeah, and I think I think you could be you could be in a good spot. You learn from it. I mean, Auburn beat Florida the first time around without getting a lot from Kessler in that game. But they got a lot from their guards in that first match. I mean, you just didn't get much from your guards at all in this in this second one. So you got to adjust, you got to adapt, and, and move forward. This isn't college football. One loss isn't fatal. Um, you're going to lose multiple times on the way to, to on the way to um, winning big. So and enjoyed bookmarking some tweets from all across the conference. A lot of people enjoyed this Auburn loss to Florida. For a lot of fan bases who do talk about not thinking about Auburn, not caring about Auburn, there was a lot of revelry over could this that potentially Could it potentially be from the fan base whose team lost Auburn twice already this year? Some, yeah, but it was also random schools. So I think, you know, we have people's attention, which is Kentucky, exciting. definitely. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky definitely, and I mean that's you know that's that's a one right now, but it's just yeah, it's like it's like Alabama folks getting all up in arms, you know. They've got ten losses this year. I did not think that team was going to lose that many games this year. It's been a it's been a nice little comeuppance. It's been a nice little comeuppance. Yeah, the you expect they'll be, it. They'll from, be fine moving forward. They're recruiting like right. mad right now. You expect it from Alabama, and you expect it from Kentucky. Arkansas's terminally online. They're really enjoying that victory over Auburn still. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Florida gets to have their day, right? Like if Florida wins the game, they get to have their fun. Yeah, but a couple sure. of the other schools, it's like. Your team's very bad. I would not chime in on this. Just either wait until the tailgating starts or wait until, like, your f- football team plays again. Man, do you think Arkansas is kicking themselves for the way they started SEC play? I'm sure that they're not thrilled by it. I mean, they are playing some of the best basketball in the conference right now. They've won 10 out of their last 11, mm-hmm. and the only loss they've had was at Bama by one. I mean, they would – they didn't. They don't get off that slow start. They're right there in the mix with, with Kentucky as as the you know top team in the top team in the league potential champion um auburn plays old miss on uh wednesday night a good long layoff again for auburn um which i think is going to be very helpful um you know after after uh the game that you know the they had a late game on wednesday earlier game on saturday so what they time get another is it late... on wednesday do we have seven thirty okay seven thirty um, so a little earlier than the eight o'clock game, but not by much. Uh, Ole Miss, if you have, uh, if you're just joining us about the Ole Miss Rebels, um, you know, got off played like probably the perfect basketball game the first half until like the final minute against Auburn. 
uh, back on January the 15th. Uh, Auburn really takes it over in the second half and wins 80-71 to 71 away from home. Um, that was a tough loss for uh, Ole Miss that got them to 1-3 in SEC play. Since then, uh, they are, they are, they've gone 3-7. and seven. Um, They did beat Kansas State, uh, so they're technically 4-7 and seven, uh, since they last played Auburn. Um, but the big, the big problem there is, uh, Deshaun Ruffin, uh, Deshaun Ruffin. Um, so Ole Miss beats Florida at home, uh, loses Arkansas, beats Kansas state, you know, hammers LSU early and holds on for dear life in that game in, in Baton Rouge and wins. But Deshaun Ruffin, uh, the fantastic guard for them, freshman guard, a player that Auburn once had a commitment from, he gets hurt in that LSU game. Since then, they have lost to Florida in overtime, lost to Bama by 14, lost to Missouri by 6, lost to South Carolina by 3 in overtime. And uh, on Saturday, though, in Athens, they beat the Georgia Bulldogs 85-68. to um, So this team just hasn't quite been the same without Ruffin. Um, defense has been one of the worst in the league most of the year. Their offense hasn't quite been the same without Ruffin, although they've got some guys that can that can step up and, and score in his absence. Uh, you know, Ty Fagan, Javon Brakefield, Austin Crowley all had big big games against Georgia. Um, this should be a game back at home where Auburn stays the course, takes care of business. Like you said, Painter earlier, I think you're going to get their best shot because you're going to get everybody's best shot, but not necessarily a situation where you're feeling like Auburn is in grave danger. Um, they're 15 point expected favorites on Ken Palm. Uh, I would imagine the line would be somewhere in the low double digits. We'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, it's just this old Miss team is second worst in the league right now. They're not the worst because that's Georgia. Uh, Painter, did you happen to see what happened to Tom Crean yesterday? A little hot mic action. A little, little zoom action. Was our guy, uh, Jordan Hill, the one that like, happened to stay on and break all that news yep so <laughs> what a way to jump into the beat our buddy uh our buddy jordan hill um you know who's been on the podcast before uh just a lot of you know left the opalaka auburn news to go uh take a job at georgia's 24 7 site we're happy for jordan uh gets back closer to home and um you know uh we're gonna, we're gonna miss him around here specifically but his first week on the georgia beat pretty interesting in terms of the basketball situation uh so (laughs) earlier in the week there was a uh, news leaked that new (laughs) news leaked that um they had a uh one of their assistant coaches got suspended for an incident at halftime uh with one of their staff members um and that got leaked out and then there was stuff on Friday where people thinking that uh, Crean was probably a dead man walking when it came to his it came to getting fired. And anyway, they lose to he canceled his, his Zoom pregame uh, heading into the week. He uh, they lose to Ole Miss in a in a rough game all the way around for for Georgia. They have a Zoom and. I'll say this, when Auburn gets done with Zooms, the SIDs are like the fastest guns in the West when it comes to just shutting it down. Like, everybody at Auburn's, they get done, and then it's boom, this meeting has ended. 
apparently, uh, the Zoom kept going and the hot mic was was on. Uh, and uh, people who stayed on the Georgia call got to hear Tom Crean um, being talking honest. To some, yeah, very honest. Talking about how uh, one of their GAs was the one that leaked uh, the story about uh, Wade Mason's suspension. Uh, and got it publicized. And then um, they talked about Aaron Cook, who transferred from Gonzaga this year, their, their, their guard. And he said, this, is, this was kind of the money quote here, I thought. He said, Aaron's not as close to good as he thinks he is, and every time there's a problem, he wears down. Like I said, if you played with as much edge as you're talking to me right now, you wouldn't be having any issues at all. But I said, you're not going to talk to me like that, okay? You can play like that, okay. but you're not going to talk like that. Okay. Woo! So... I, what I want to know is whose job was it, and assuming it was the SID's job to turn it off, what was their reaction when they realized, oops, I didn't turn it off, and he just said all that? Was Tom Crean still there, and they were like, hey, Tom, you might have an incident? Or, or did, did they think anybody was still on? Right. Did they, were they like, well, maybe nobody noticed. Yeah, that's... Like, should but, I say anything to him? That he just spilled the beans to the entire, or at least apparently, someone? <laughs> apparently, Kareen's buyout comes down here shortly. Um, you know, at the end of the season, and it, it, he's a you know he's done. I, I would be very shocked if, if they bring him right. back. Not that I feel uh, bad for the coaches because they get paid all this money to walk away, but the only thing that perhaps rivals the stupidity of paying people for being bad at their jobs is the loopholes that we seem to be regularly finding to not give people their buyouts. Right. Um, but, Painter, I know you're you're one, uh, like a, a bunch of people on Auburn Twitter, you, you've been one of the ringleaders of the uh, Extend Tom Crane movement. Uh, pretty big blow for, for, for the movement yesterday. Yeah, I think this one's done. I think Tom Crane should just, if he hasn't already, go get a second or third home, buddy. Hang it up. I don't know why all these coaches think they have to work. They don't. They have all this money. Just... Go I teach could see, high school basketball somewhere, man. I could see Crane getting a shot because there's there's three hundred and forty something D one teams. Oh, Somebody's yeah. going to give him a job. Give him a job I mean, Tony Barbie, Tony Barbie got a job. Right, that, like if he wants to coach, and he almost certainly does because most of them want to keep doing it. Then yeah, he'll get a job somewhere. By the way, Central Michigan update uh, number three twenty six <laughs> in Kempom. Wow. Um, the Chippewas are six and eighteen. They have lost uh, five out of their last six. Um, they have one of the worst defenses in Division One basketball this year. Um, it's been said before, but I don't know why this man thinks he should do anything except sit next to Calipari. It works for him. It pays him well. Like, the expectations can't be that high based on what it is Barbie does when he's on his own. Yeah. Did you see Calipari apparently yes. like like headbutting Pat Adams? <laughs> Two people who it's like, I don't care what happens to you, but um, <laughs> what, what an interaction. Oh man, oh man, but yeah, uh, like you said, frustrating loss for Auburn, a gut punch in a lot of ways, especially the ending. Uh, but uh, team still got a lot, all their goals ahead of it, still in a good spot to, I think, keep the one seed, win the SEC, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Not going to be easy. The job gets tougher from here. Uh, but as Bruce Pearl said after the game in a video that the the um, team tweeted out. Um, it's about to, it's about the time to see what this team is made of mm-hmm. because uh, they're gonna have to start they're gonna have to start playing better away from Auburn Arena and uh, won't get that test on Wednesday but they'll definitely get that test next Saturday in Knoxville. All right, uh, let's take care of some business, Painter. 
Um, first off, for those of you who are listening to this podcast um, and want to support us more, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. $6 a month or $60 a year gets you access to all the newsletters and a bonus podcast at least once a week. Uh, we've been doing a little bit more uh, bonus pods um, recently uh, with some with some news that is broken later in the week. Um, we're going to try to get a couple more uh, moving forward, maybe do some things a little different. Uh, but uh, the only way to get them is you have to be a member of the Inner Circle. You have to join the Auburn Observer. You can do that auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. Uh, you can check that out. There should be a link in the description. Um, but, you know, maybe you are not in a position to, uh, to to buy a subscription or you just want to continue to listen to the free podcast because it's free and you like it. Um, well, there's a way you can help us out that's absolutely free. Banner, tell them about it. Rate, review, subscribe. Just tap a few buttons. Takes like 20 seconds. Helps us out tremendously. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Apple Podcasts, just go uh, bottom right corner, search, type in the Auburn Observer, click the Auburn Observer, scroll down to ratings and reviews, give us five stars, say something nice about Painter in there, and uh, man, Painter, we got we got a lot of reviews to read, and I've got an email we need to read as well, so you ready to dive right in? All right. Here we go. Um, this is from, <laughs> I, love this, I love this username, this is from BunnyRabbit8Mile. Uh, it says, yep. Uh, it says, I feel sorry for the people who aren't subscribers because they don't know that we are given painters location every premium episode. <laughs> They're just left with the parts unknown on the free edition. Just something to think about, huh? <laughs> Cannot confirm or deny that that happens on the, on the, uh, on the free episodes or on the premium episodes. All right. This is from our buddy Walt. Uh, Walt says, I am deeply ashamed that it took me over a year of listening to remember that I have an iPhone for work and I can use to write an additional review for this, the greatest fall Auburn podcast. Ferg <laughs> provides what is expected as a host and Painter brings the heat as the fan. Neither sugarcoat the facts about Auburn sports. They just tell it like it is in a fashion befitting the pure chaos that is Auburn. If you're not listening to this podcast, all I can do is ask, what is wrong with you? Well, worth the price for the great Auburn information uh, without the hidden sanity of message boards to go along with it. Uh, I, I happen to I happen to like the message board insanity uh, personally. Uh, punch that subscribe button harder than you like to punch TV Teddy whenever he goes Frank tripping on a foul call and prepare to have your mind blown. Thank you, Walt. Very very kind of you to say. Shout out to Georgia Southern. Shout out to our friends at Georgia Southern for sure. Um, this is from Dream Carter, and uh, this says Dream Painter. As the, as the title. It says, I had a dream the other night that I was riding the Batman roller coaster at Six Flags and Painter was in the seat beside me. When the ride ended, I asked him if he wanted to ride another roller coaster with me, to which he would reply, only if you rate, review, and subscribe. Who am I to deny Dream Painter? Painter, you like the Batman ride? I do. I do. I think I've already told this story. I love the Batman ride. I've gotten stuck on the Superman before. Oh, that's not fun. <laughs> just because of the just because of the way you're the positioning the you're is sitting, not yeah. ideal. It's not an not ideal, ideal one to get stuck on. But yes, uh, glad to know that I've burned the uh, the words into your memory, even when you are really not conscious. And finally, the last of the reviews from Wardam Joe says, "Short King, Stat King, best podcast ever, probably." Painter with the homerism you want, Ferg with the unbiased insight you need. I think that's the tag team we're going for here. Thank you guys so very much. Uh, we're very vain people, and we read the podcast reviews. Um, mainly because, for ourselves. Uh, mainly for ourselves. We do it just to give you guys... I mean, we started it as a way to like be like, hey, 
shout out to those of you who are actually rating, reviewing, and subscribing. We we thank you, and we 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 thank you for your support. But then also, it's just like we we like to tell ourselves how great we are because uh, we're because we're vain people. Painter, I have an email I want to read to you um, that I got nice? this week. It, it's it's a great email. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal email. I think you're really gonna gonna enjoy this one. Uh, this is from our friend David, who is a uh, who is a uh, a longtime supporter of the newsletter and uh, and, and the podcast. Um, if you are a member of the Inner Circle, you listened to our podcast last week after uh, Jabari Smith's wild uh, performance against uh, Vanderbilt, and we mentioned uh, the thirty point scores in Auburn freshman history, and we mentioned the King himself, Pepto Bolden, right, Painter. Are you, are you ready for some Pepto Bolden information? Incredible name, and I was amazed. Like, there's a number of people who knew who that was. Yeah. So here we go. Um, here's some info. This is from David. David says, "Here's some ep- info on Pepto, inspired by the most uh, recent podcast in this week's mailbag." Pepto is, as you noted, from Talladega, which happens to be my hometown. He was five years ahead of me, and he was a legend in Dega, where he pre- played for a parentally strong high school program. Although something on the AU website list him at 6'4". My memory is he was closer to 6'7". So, Pepto, not a short king, Painter. Um, at Auburn, he was part of a f- dynamic freshman duo with Eddie Johnson. I believe he, S- he led the SEC in rebounding as a freshman. After that, his c- career tailed off a bit as Dr. Bob Davis upgraded the talent significant- significantly, um, bringing in Mike Mitchell, Miles Patrick, uh, among others. But he was a solid contributor throughout his time at AU to my, the best of my knowledge, he is still the only Division One basketball player to ever come out of Talladega. Now, for the most important part, Pepto was indeed just a nickname. His real name was Kenneth. Stunner. Absolute stunner. Uh, so, uh, I was told, please let Painter know he shares a first name with the mostly forgotten but still fondly remembered by some Auburn Hoops legend. Still legendary. In fact, I'm hearing that more and more people are calling him one of the greats at Auburn. Can we start calling you Pepto Painter? Oh, you can call me. I, like I mentioned in the mailbag, a lot of nicknames. Some of them make more sense than others. Yeah. I need, I need you to t- change your Twitter display name to Pepto. <laughs> <laughs> Pepto Sharp. Please change it to Pepto Sharpless. <laughs> uh, we appreciate that email from David. And, uh, yeah, if you're in their circle, you could hear us talk about uh, the Talladega legend, Pepto Bolden. Shout out to uh, to the fine folks up in that part of the state. Uh, have you ever been to the downtown scene at Talladega? I have not. You can have I, a good time been... there. You can have a good time. Have you ever been to a race? I have not. I've been to the track two different times. Yeah. Done, uh, done the toury thing where you, you know, they, they ride you around and show you how steep it is. They used to like let people try to run up it. And then I think no, they're like, this hurt. is a liability issue for sure. This is very steep. We should not do that anymore. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, my, uh, I still have extended family that live up there, but um, I, or at I, least uh, I think that they don't let people do it anymore. Surely not. I don't. I, I've heard that as well. I've heard that as well. Um, my great grandmother lived close enough to Talladega uh, that during race weekend, like her house, you could feel it at her house um, when the cars were coming by. The like the the turn because it's such a huge track. The the turn in the area closest to her, her house, it was you know you could feel it kind of kind of rattle a little bit. Um, but yeah. Appreciate appreciate the folks letting us know more about uh, Pepto Bolden, Kenneth Pepto Bolden, uh, the the legend himself. Uh, all right. Also, let us tell you folks about the good people of Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com. They sponsor this fine internet 
podcast, and uh, we happen to like them very, very much uh, because they supply us and Auburn fans and college fans everywhere with the premium vintage apparel uh, that you can't get anywhere else. It's going to be the best feeling and the best looking college apparel you're going to find anywhere. Trust us. We're talking t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, sometimes even joggers. Homefieldapparel.com has you covered uh, right now. They have 21 Auburn products. Uh, some of them are sold out at the moment, but here's what you can get. We've got the 1957 National Championship tee. Uh, we've got uh, Sailor Aubie. We've got a couple Sailor Aubies. Got the Vince Carter Sailor Aubie. Auburn baseball season underway. Shout out to uh, shout out Auburn baseball getting a big win on Saturday. Also, Auburn softball took a tough one to UCLA, but on fire to start the year, hitting the ball a lot better. Uh, young lineup from from Mickey Dean. Um, so for those of you who want uh, who want to show your support for uh, for the uh, Tigers on the Diamond, there's a cool Auburn uh, baseball script shirt in orange. Basketball season, obviously, we're in the middle of it. Uh, you've got uh, the Ever to Conquer uh, Beard Eves era shirt. Saw several people wearing them in Gainesville on uh, on on Saturday. So a lot of home field uh, in Gainesville, and of course the Peacock shirt. Uh, inspired by our buddy Ryan and the good folks over at College of Mag. Uh, you can get all that at homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your first ever order from Homefield Apparel if you use the promo code OBSERVER when you check out. So that's 15% off homefieldapparel.com. They do free shipping on orders above $100. And I'm not going to tell you how you spend your money, but you're probably going to want to spend more than $100 there because you're going to stock up um, for this late winter early springtime uh it's gonna be a good time to uh, rock as much home field as you can so homefieldapparel.com like i said observer is the promo code for 15 percent off all right painter we've got a few minutes left to go in today's program want to talk about the news that happened over the weekend in football and not surprising news uh by any means i did think that the longer this kind of went on Maybe the more likely Auburn went in a different direction, but uh, Brian Harson continues to um, stick with his guys, and 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 uh, I think the timeline of this all kind of made sense uh, in the end. But uh, on Friday afternoon, announcing that uh, Eric Keysaw has been promoted to offensive coordinator, uh, Rock Bellatoni, uh, who was an analyst, is now a, a the edge uh, linebackers coach and special teams coordinator, replacing. Uh, replacing uh, Painter's Painter's uh, dearly departed uh, assistant coach Burt Watts, who went to the NFL. Also, Zach Etheridge, and a move that I know a lot of Auburn fans uh, like to hear. Zach Etheridge getting promoted to associate head coach, so uh, bumping up that usually comes with a raise. Uh, and we talked about uh, keeping Etheridge away from Auburn, keeping Etheridge away from from Georgia and, and some other schools uh, who could have potentially been lurking there. So. Auburn promoting wide receiver coach Eric Keysad, offensive coordinator. Um, this was always kind of the the plan I thought that made the most sense in this timeline. You're talking about a few weeks to go before spring practice. You just went through a situation where there's a lot of people looking at Auburn kind of tentatively about stability and like you know who's going to be around and how much longer you're going to be around. Always kind of seemed like it would be easier for. Auburn to stay in house like they did on defense, uh, promoting um, Jeff Schmetting, um, and like 
Jeff Smetting. Eric Keesaw has been a has been a coordinator for Brian Harson in the past. So in year two, he's leaning on his guys. Um, Rot Bellatoni was a uh, was an analyst. He spent time. We've talked about Keesaw in the past. Uh, Bellatoni uh, spent time as the special teams coordinator and a defensive assistant coach at Utah State. Um, he was at Washington State before that. Um, he was at Buffalo. Uh, he was at Florida Atlantic, uh, where Trey Hendrickson, who uh, obviously had a big, big role for, uh, um, had, had a big, had a big role for uh, the Bengals in the uh, in the in their run to the Super Bowl. Um, top guy coming out of FAU. He's bounced around for a while. He was at the FCS level for a long, long time as well. Brings a lot of experience to the table. A like-for-like replacement for Burt Watts because he's going to coach edge linebackers and special teams, an area that he's got both uh, both experience in. I just – the grand scheme of things, uh, and I know this is going to have different reactions to different folks, but going to kind of call it like I see it here is this um, – I think it was always going to be a little bit tougher after what Auburn went through to bring in people from the outside. I also think Brian Harson has a premium on his guys. Um, he like you know he, the guys he trusts, the guys that he that he's leaned on in the past. And uh, Painter, it's my perspective, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say. It's my perspective that um, if you're going to let a head coach coach, you know, run his program. Um, there is value of letting him do it, do it his way. And I think these hires are very much, these promotions are very much kind of signs that he is leaning on his guys. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, you know, you can't, you at least can't say the man was hand, handicapped, handcuffed, or, you know, forced to get people he didn't trust in there, uh, on his staff. Yeah, I guess I do wonder like how practical it would be to bring more people into this. It's probably easier to promote from within, not to say that they can't bring people from the outside. They've and obviously they, and, done yeah, so they recently. Obviously did that. Yeah. I just think Christian it's a harder Robinson sell and, uh, right now. Jimmy Brumball. Yeah. I yeah, think you're it's right. a harder sell. And obviously like you can say, Well, is he just hiring his buddies? And it's like, I guess maybe, but also like they clearly have similar philosophies know one another well and given the circumstances that might be as important as about anything yeah uh, the other thing is like they, they got to fill out their offense I and mean, the roster in general sure but like who is going to play offense and i think with the thing with keysaw it'll be interesting to see what he does as an offensive coordinator i still think you know brian harson's going to be the guy kind of it's going to be you know keysaw and harson going forward but it's going to look a lot like harson's vision for the offense um but Keysaw, I would say, you know, when the Cornelius when Cornelius Williams was fired and Keysaw um, was promoted to that job, Auburn's receivers got better. You know, not as many drops in those those final nine games. Some guys stepped up and had big games in that. The issue there is, a couple of those guys who had big games aren't no are no longer here. Um, so you got to have a replacement. Keysaw has got some experience at wide receivers, like. You know, your wide receiver coach being your offensive coordinator, maybe that'll help you out in recruiting. I, Auburn's going to have to get, I think, a guy or two at wide receiver in this next wave in the transfer portal. I, I think that's a must. Um, that's easier said than done, obviously, and, and they went after some guys in the first wave and it, it didn't work out. But, you know, they can at least pu- push out with Keyson. It's like, look, he's, he's coached 
you know, he's coached Deshaun Jackson. He's coached, you know, a, a number of guys that have uh, – that, that were, you know, NFL types. Uh, Keenan Allen, um, you know, some others. Uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins. Like, there, there's some guys that went to the league that they can point to, and maybe that will help them out in, in that. Maybe the promotion will help them out there. It'd be interesting to see with the linebackers and special teams corner. I think the edge position is one of the most fascinating ones on the team right now because there's not a whole lot of depth there. Um, you are keeping it going. I think you looked at the edges last season that Auburn had with Derek Hall, and Derek Hall is a key cornerstone there. Um, Echo Leota, another key guy. You did lose TD Moultrie. You lost some depth, guys who didn't play as much. Dylan Brooks is a guy that everybody's going to be keeping an eye on this year. Can he take that step forward? Can he provide depth? But you just don't, you just don't have a lot in terms of your your numbers at the edge. Do you go get another guy? Do you move some guys from you know, some of the thinner guys from the defensive line out there? Do you move a guy from linebacker to the outside? We've talked about Cam Riley as a, as as somebody who could who can move around. How they shape up that edge position because he's inheriting and a, and a guy obviously who knows these dudes because he was on staff last year. He's inheriting a pretty solid front line with Hall and Leota. That's a really good one-two punch there at the position. Special teams coordinator, he's got experience at it. Auburn's got to tighten up there uh, in some areas, but he's got good pieces to work with, obviously, in terms of the specialists. I think it's going to be the other units that people are going to have a, uh, an eye on, like return and coverage and stuff like that. Um, so, I, you know, it, it is a like-for-like replacement. I think the depth is the issue at edge, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they fill that out. Um, but there's a lot of value there, and I think staying, staying, you know, staying the course and not bringing somebody else in from the outside, I guess, right now. And, and if you have somebody on your staff that can, can fill both spots, you do that. We'll see, though. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think Burt Watts, you know, he go, he, him going to the NFL – I don't think it was indicative of anything wrong with Auburn. I think it's just an opportunity to go to the NFL. We talked about that uh, in the premium pod last week. Um, and then and then on top of that, Painter, I think it's just an easy win to do something like promote Zach Etheridge to associate head coach, uh, which is um, in, in coaching uh, contract chatter is just a way to get a guy more money. It's just another way to, to, to say, hey, this is why we're paying you more than a, than a normal position coach. You had this with Ronnie Garner. Ronnie Garner was this was this guy for a while for Auburn, and and you know got to command him a, a bigger salary, and and obviously delivered as a recruiter and as a coach. I think it's an easy win um, to say, hey, not only have we kept Zach Etheridge, but we're going to take care of him a little bit more. I think Auburn fans really, really are excited to see that. I guess if anything, maybe a a PR win. People like Zach; they realize he's a coach that seems to have some promise. Uh, that I think a lot of people think will advance in this industry, and mm-hmm. obviously the title Auburn is a is a help. And then internally, you do yourself a favor by making sure you give the guy give him some money. Like we're all about people getting paid here. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing: Auburn has an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, tight ends coach, edge linebackers. Um, they've got a defensive line coach and a linebackers coach in place. I'm. I'm I'm trying to count it up right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm trying. Oh, strength and condition is in there. Okay, I was trying trying to figure out what what was happening. Um, be interested to see what they do at quarterback coach because it looks like he saw staying as wide receivers coach. So what does Auburn do at, at quarterback coach? Um, that's going to be a uh, 
that's going to be a an interesting thing to 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 figure out. Um, I would imagine that you will see Harson be more hands on with that position. Um, Auburn does have Mike Hartline, uh, who um, was. If you don't remember Mike Hartline, he played at Kentucky. Um, he was uh, hired as an analyst recently. Uh, he was at Ohio State um, uh, for a little while. He was uh, quality control at Cincinnati um, in 2017, 2018. And then he was at Ohio Dominican, which is a D2 school, as their OC and quarterbacks coach uh, the last few years. And then Auburn brings him in as an analyst. That makes a lot of sense if they want to promote again from within and go to quarterbacks. Coach. Just be interested to see what they do. Um, cause there is one spot. It looks like that, that is, that is left open, uh, at this, at this point. So, um, again, it kind of goes to a point of kind of where I think Auburn football is right now after the situation that just transpired with Brian Harson. There's a lot of internal belief about this team. There's a lot of, Hey, we can be the guys to get this done. We're going to be the dudes who, um, you know, prove everybody wrong, rally the troops, stay internal, keep it inside. And I think, I think keeping with internal hires, I think kind of fits that philosophy some, some as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out and uh, spring football coming in, coming in hot here uh, next month. So keeps on rolling. There'll be a lot to talk about, obviously, and a lot of, a lot of work having to be done with this new look staff uh, for Auburn in 2022. So I think that'll do it. That wrap that up. I think we've done it. Yet another perfect episode. <laughs> another award-winning episode of the Auburn Observer Podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Um, like like we said, rate, review, subscribe uh, on Apple. You can uh, review, uh, give us you know five stars on uh, Spotify. Help Both of those help us out tremendously. Uh, it takes just a few seconds of your time. Subscribe to the Observer if you haven't already. Uh, a lot of newsletters and then the bonus podcast. Uh, you get you know at least twice as much podcast. Uh, if you subscribe, $6 a month or $60 a year at auburnobserver.com. We will be back later this week, another um, another late-night podcast, it looks like, on Wednesday uh, as Auburn plays Ole Miss. We will talk to y'all who are in the inner circle again on Thursday. Uh, for those of you who are not, we'll talk to you again next week after Auburn, Tennessee. Painter, your final thoughts. Auburn deserves everything they got for stomping on Florida's logo. 